Now that the first Republican debate is over, it's time to take a look at the overall state of the upcoming election while weeping quietly into soggy pages torn in a fit of anguish from the book of Revelation. On the Republican side, those who attended the debate included the dull guy, the other dull guy, the fat guy, the girl, the black guy, but he seems nice enough, the irritating skinny guy, plus the what's-his-name guy, and the who-the-hell-even-is-that-guy. One or two of the candidates got a bump in the polls after the debate when they distinguished themselves by having certain opinions, but no one can remember which candidates or what opinions, and by now the bump is gone, so really, who cares? Miami Mayor Francis Suarez has dropped out of the race, sending shockwaves through Miami when people there learned that the city had a mayor and his name was Francis Suarez, and he had been off somewhere running for president instead of getting the locals to speak English and stop killing each other. This means that as of today, the 2024 presidential race seems likely to come down to the Democrat, who's a dead guy, and the Republican frontrunner, a soon-to-be-convicted felon. The felon is slightly ahead in the polls, except on those days when the dead guy is ahead, but many people are convinced that the felon is the country's only hope, unless it's the dead guy. The news media, of course, heavily favors the dead guy and has gone to great lengths to prove to the public that he's not really dead, but only looks dead because he's so corrupt, his soul is full of a moral emptiness that resembles death, sort of like Macbeth when he makes that tomorrow and tomorrow speech at the end of the play, except silently because obviously this guy is dead. In order to prove that the dead guy is not really a dead guy, reporters at USA Today were pulled off their usual beat of drawing colorful pie charts for blithering idiots and were assigned instead to study pictures of the dead guy for signs of life. To do this, they enlarged the pictures of the dead guy until it finally became clear that he was not in fact a corpse, but merely a vague haze of pixels designed to obscure the conspiring cabal of leftist authoritarians standing behind him and working day and night to destroy every last American freedom in order to change the climate to one of Depression-era levels of total misery. However, in the event the dead guy turns out to actually be dead, his party will need someone else to beat the felon, and we'll have to choose between the vice president, who spends most of her time reading colorful USA Today pie charts, and the obviously sinister guy who would have to run on his record of turning California from a paradise into something like a portisan, only without the amenities. As for the felon, he continues to travel the country baiting and insulting federal prosecutors and judges because he feels that's the legal strategy that works so well for John Dillinger. Other than that, the felon continues to run on his record, though not on his criminal record, but on the record where he kept employment high, prices low, cut regulations and taxes, wiped out ISIS, brought peace to the Middle East, and didn't start any new wars. Although apparently some people think that is his criminal record, but they're already voting for the dead guy. So it seems the American people have a tough decision before them, whether to repeatedly hit themselves in the face with a brick until everything seems fine, or to dress up as a woman and catch a plane to Amsterdam in time to become only the second Miss Netherlands to have a penis, unless you hang out in the red light district, where that's actually pretty common. You might also try escaping to Hungary, where low immigration and Christianity-based governance has turned the place into a crime-free wonderland. Or to Uganda, where they put homosexual pedophiles to death, making it virtually impossible to form a teacher's union. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, we are back laughing our way through the fall of man. 
Uh, please, this is the time to pre-order House of Love and Death, the third entry, and I think just as as good as any of them are going to get uh, in the Cameron Winter series. I think it's really one of my best. It's been called a blisteringly uh, good mystery by the Publishers Weekly pre-publication review. And it's the story of a man trying in a world that's coming apart to be a good man in, in that world. And I think that's some of the stuff we're talking about here as well. I think you'll like it. Please pre-order it. It really helps. People that keep asking me, should is it okay if they pre-order on Kindle and on Audible? I don't think you can get the Audible yet. That usually only comes out of publication, but order it any way you can. It's all helpful. Uh, also, Subscribe, please, to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel, my personal YouTube channel, where you will get exclusive content personally delivered by me to your door or perhaps someone dressed up as me or someone just dressed up. You don't know. And if you leave a comment uh, and that comment is uh, absolutely morally reprehensible, we will read it on the air because that is how we roll. Today's comment is from Multibears fan, Multibears fan 54. You have a weird visceral prejudice, he says, against marijuana. It ignores facts entirely. More people die from alcohol. More people are addicted to alcohol. Alcoholism is also proven to be harder to overcome. Marijuana is used by over 50 million hardworking Americans. The way you treat liquor with kids' gloves while acting like pot smoking kills people is actually a little disgusting. Ben's take, however, I may disagree, is respectable. He seems to be completely against any intoxication, which, like I said, is very fair and consistent. Believe me, I agree with you on most things, but man, that drink that you like to have every now and again, why can't mine be marijuana? Why can't my intoxication, which is significantly safer, be okay to use? It's absurd on its face. Yeah, the two things that people will defend uh, more strongly and more ferociously than anything else are their addictions and their fears. Uh, Two things that people will not let you take away from them. Don't take away my addiction and don't take away my, my terror. Uh, what you're saying is simply not true. You can have, I mean, it's partially true. I shouldn't say that people look, if you're addicted to alcohol, you shouldn't touch it. If you get drunk, that's a sin. You shouldn't do it. It's bad for you. But if you have a drink now and again, you are not getting intoxicated. Whereas nowadays dope is so strong that you really can't smoke it without getting stoned. And that is a problem. I mean, if you, if every time you had a drink, you got drunk, I would say, well, yeah, they're, they're, uh, the same thing. But it's just not true. And the second thing that's not true is most people who are smoking dope are smoking a lot more of it than they admit to themselves and not smoking it now and again the way I have a drink. They're smoking it every day. They're smoking it all the time. They're smoking it during the day. And I don't care how hardworking you are. It's bad for you. It's it's bad to be intoxicated. That's That's a bad thing. Ben is right about that. But you can have a drink without getting intoxicated where really today you can't smoke the dope. And it is lousy for your brain. You do not want to lose uh, those IQ points and you don't want to uh, instill mental illness, which it does. I'm sorry, I can't agree with you on this. I think the dope is is worse unless you're abusing alcohol than any abuse of any substance is bad. Let us get from there into today's episode, which is actually kind of a smooth segue, how to outsmart the stupid. I've been thinking a lot this week about one of my least favorite modern authors, uh, David Foster Wallace, he's the guy who wrote the book Infinite Jest, which I think should have been called Interminable uh, Jest, had about 130 good pages in it, but just it's a massive, like, over 1,000-page tome. Anyway, Wallace was an intelligent guy and a a very good writer when he was good, and he once gave a speech, a graduation speech, I think it was, where he told an excellent story, and that's the story I want to tell today, which is very quick, it's a little joke. Two young fish 
are swimming along when they pass an old fish. And the old fish says to them, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish keep swimming for a while. Then one turns to the other and says, what the hell is water? This is a reference uh, to an old Chinese expression, the fish can't see the water he's swimming in unless he jumps. Uh, You can't tell your environment because you're surrounded by your environment. In these last few weeks, I've been talking about the all but utter collapse and corruption of our institutions and how this puts a responsibility on us to live out the idea of America in our personal lives in order to keep it alive. That's a Christian-based idea. Uh, It's based on Christian values as seen through the lens of the Enlightenment. It includes the sacrosanct nature of the individual. His equality only in the sense, he's only, individuals are only equal in the sense that they are equally, have equally have the right to have a say in who governs them. That is their, uh, that is their equality. Uh, They, uh, They have rights given to them uh, by nature's God. And as detailed in Thomas West's book, The Political Theory of the American Founding, there are responsibilities that come attached to those rights, the responsibility to act morally in terms of private as well as public behavior. So those are all things that if you're not doing them and you're screaming at the television set and you're shaking your fist at the institutions, you're not doing anything. You're not accomplishing anything. People keep asking me, what if we rebel? Rebellion, uh, A, almost never works, but B, usually makes things worse. Uh, However, if you live out the idea of America in yourself, the change will be remarkable. In order to do that, you have to recover those values inside yourselves. And in order to do that, you have to extricate yourself from the sea of stupid and evil that we're swimming in right now. And that was uh, that way we can become what God made us to be, which is our best selves, or in this case, our American selves. And in order to do that, you have to see the water that we're swimming in and understand it and understand how it affects you. And I'm talking, obviously, about the cultural and political atmosphere in which we're living right now. So being an old fish, I thought today I would try to jump out of the water and take a look. Getting a good night's sleep is essential for your physical, mental, and emotional well-being. You don't want to be like me. That's why you need to check out Helix Mattress. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience, or in my case, a staying awake experience. They just launched their new Helix Elite. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. Helix provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences, such as If you're a hot sleeper, a side sleeper, or like me, a non-sleeper. I've had my Helix for years. I love it, and I get to spend a lot of time in it wide awake. If you have been on the fence about getting a Helix mattress, they even have a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress, because why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin and take their two-minute sleep quiz to find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Their flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away right now. Helix is offering up to 25% off all mattresses orders and giving you two free pillows during their Labor Day sale. This is their best offer yet, so hurry over to helixsleep.com slash Clavin and use promo code HELIXPARTNER25. With Helix, better sleep starts now. That slash Clavin, by the way, is spelled slash K-L-A-V-A-N. Chapter one, the big cover-up. So let's start with a clip of President and venal houseplant Joe Biden. He's at a meeting 
uh, this week before a civil rights group, and he starts speaking about a racist shooting that went down in Jacksonville, Florida. A 21-year-old white man walked into a Dollar General store and shot three people because they were black, apparently. They have his manifestos. Then, apparently, uh, killed himself. As one of my brothers once said, it's too bad these guys always kill themselves last. It would be nice if they would start there. Anyway, this is what Biden said as he was talking to this group. Cut one. But pause for just a moment. I thought things had changed. I was able to literally, not figuratively, talk Strom Thurmond into voting for the, for the Civil Rights Act before he died. And I thought, well, maybe there's real progress. But hate never dies. It just hides. It hides under the rocks. Now, this is an amazing clip because it's very brief. It maybe lasts 20 seconds. But there's so many lies in it that it sort of reveals where we are in a big way. First of all, there's the sadly comical lie. The Civil Rights Act was signed in 1964 when Biden was in his early 20s, literally not figuratively, not even in the Senate. And Strom Thurmond literally not figuratively voted against it, which is important because it shows what everybody already knows. Joe Biden is both dishonest and has lost his faculties. He's always been a liar. He has always been a cheat. He's been a plagiarist. He's been a political weather vane who blew with the wind. And now I think it's pretty clear that he no longer knows whether he's lying or not. He's just too old to understand what he's saying. He's just kind of babbling on. 77% of Americans, including 69% of Democrats, think Biden is too old to continue doing his job for another four years, according to an AP poll. Yet here's Kareem Jean, identity hire, addressing that poll with Jake Tapper. Let's cut two. It is hard for us to keep up with this president uh, who is constantly, constantly working every day to get things done and making sure that we are delivering for the American people. And that's what, and I think that's what matters. I get it. I get what you're asking me, but the record matters too, Jake. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with old that speedy Joe. It's hard to keep up. All right, so while we're watching KGP lie, because it's kind of entertaining, she does it so entirely. I mean, she lies so completely. Uh, here she is talking about the border crisis that now has, I think, 7 million people are coming across the border, and it now has even the Democrat mayor of New York begging the administration to do something, as Democrat cities are finally feeling what red border states have been feeling all this time. And here is KGP at a, uh, I should call her KJIH, uh, addressing this at a press conference, cut 10. The president has done more to secure the border and to deal with this issue of immigration than anybody else. He really has. Yeah, he really has. No, he, when you say it that way, especially when you add he really has, then it becomes magically true instead of the biggest lie possibly tell. Now, look, this is utterly, the White House is utterly and completely dishonest. And I'm not actually blaming KJIH because this is her job. Her job is to do what the White House tells her to do, and they're telling her to lie. And this is that lie that adds insult to injury by being so blatant. It's like, you know, a woman comes home and finds her husband in bed with another woman, and he says, no, no, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? That's that. This is that kind of lie. But it is her job. But the reason she thinks she can get away with lying at this level is, of course, because the press is now covering up. They are working full-time, the news media is working full-time in a massive cover-up of this president's incompetence and his dishonesty. So everything we're hearing just about is a lie. Uh, the House Oversight Committee is now trying to get the National Archives to hand over flight manifests that show how often Hunter Biden was using Air Force Two to do his dirty business when Joe was the VP, and they're also demanding copies of the letters Biden received on email accounts with phony names. Nothing wrong there, nothing strange. 
strange about that, uh, Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson first demanded access to these pseudonymous email accounts in mid-2021 in the archives, which you are paying for, uh, won't hand them over. Uh, one email, uh, one of these emails we know because they were in the laptop, alerted Hunter to a call the vice president made to then Ukrainian president Petro Poroshenko at the same time Hunter was on the board of Ukrainian gas giant Burisma. So he was getting information. It, you know, the call was coming from inside the White House. He was getting information on what was going on. So this obviously involves Joe Biden as well. Another laptop entry shows Hunter uh, using his business email in 2014 to write to his father's Robinware account. Account, uh, asking the, the VP, his father, to call him before making a specific government staffing decision. And Joe replied, Ray Johnny, call me right away. And Joe replied, Ray Johnny, call me right away, dad. So, so the idea that Joe Biden was somehow completely innocent when Hunter Biden was doing all these uh, dealings, they, they want bank accounts to show that, they, that Joe profited from all this. And, and look, we know, we also know already that uh, the Attorney General Merrick Icebick Garland lied under oath when he said that David Weiss had the authority to charge Hunter Biden with crimes. We know that the DOJ only charged him at all when whistleblower Gary Shapley uh, started to go public and because to, to say how his investigation had been frustrated. And then he got a call and then the, DJ, the DOJ uh, put these phony charges, this plea deal that fell apart. The New York Times a former newspaper, even they are reporting on this, but much of the press keeps denying it. So here, here's the story that I, I just want to tell about this. The Washington Post, the Washington Post, famous for Watergate, right, is defending the reporter of their columnist, Philip Bump, who was called out by law professor Jonathan Turley because he refuses to admit that the anti-Trump, pro-Biden stories that Philip Bump has been writing are, have all been disproved. He refuses to admit. He just keeps going on saying uh, there was Russian collusion between Trump, that you know, and the Russians during the election. Uh, that uh, Biden, that the uh, laptop was Russian misinformation, or as he keeps saying, well, they didn't say it was Russian information. They said it had all the earmarks of Russian information. You know what they were doing? It was a scam. It was a scam being run by people who are professionally scammers, namely the CIA. These were ex, all ex-CIA officials, and that Biden is clearly involved with Hunter's influence peddling. So I got to show you, this clip is, is just one of the most amazing clips I've ever seen. The Washington Post wrote to Jonathan Turley to say that we stand by Philip Bump's dishonest reporting. Yes, it's dishonest, but we stand by it, okay? You got to listen to this clip. Bump goes on with Noam Dorman, who runs a comedy club, and he's a Democrat, but he's a moderate, and he believes in honesty. He believes in telling the truth, right? So he's from another generation. I think he's 150 years old. So he goes on, and Dorman is, at, at, they're on for an hour. An hour, And during this hour, Philip Bump keeps trying to talk his way out of Joe Biden's complicity in Hunter Biden's corruption, which is now, you know, you can't say it's proved, but it's now very, very apparent. Then finally, they get to the end of this interview and Bump is wearing down a little bit. And if you can see it, if you're watching, not just listening, you can see his eyes. He looks like a rat caught in a trap. And Dorman starts to talk about him and about, about the fact that Biden's daughter said she had to pay dad 50 percent of her income. Here is this exchange. It's amazing. Cut nine. I agree that it was sketchy. I agree that it was a bad look. I agree that, well, particularly while he was serving as president, he ought not to have been doing that. If it emerges in the future, which it may, I absolutely can see the point that there may be direct evidence that Joe Biden took bribe money. That may, what that may do you come up. What do you take from the text message to his adult daughter 
uh, hundred text messages. I have to give fifty percent of my income to Pop. I have no idea what that means. I don't. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's it's. I know it's circumstantial evidence, and you prefer that. No, what what, what could it I, mean? I have no idea. But doesn't it, I don't know. Well, did, I appreciate your. Has anybody has anybody that. asked her? I, I don't know. I don't know. Don't you think somebody should ask her? Okay. Like I, I'm not. I just said I don't know, and I don't know what to make of it. So I have nothing yeah, to say you, about it. I remember the scene in the, in All the President's Men when Woodward and Bernstein are in the library and they're carefully going through each, you know, clip of who took out a book trying to find the guy, the right guy who took proof that it Did he call her? No, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea and I didn't call. And why would I call? That's getting information and I work for the Washington Post. We don't do that. We don't get information. We don't call people when there's, you know, proof, evidence that uh, someone was paying off the vice president of the United States, who's now the president of the United States. No, no, no. Why, why, why would we do that? You know, the Washington Post and Corrine Jean Identity Hire are obviously in the same business. So is NBC. So is CNN. So, of course, is MSNBC. It was the same thing. Every outlet that called every Trump exaggeration a lie, but won't call anything that Biden says a lie, they are all covering things up. And there's something, an even more important lie in this, that clip of Biden that I've opened with, the clip where he says, I thought we made a change, but hate just hides under a rock. Are you going to tell me that there has been no change in race relations in the United States since 1964? Yes, you, they are going to tell you that. The New York Times sells it all the time. This is the idea that it's all, it's all just under the rock. It hasn't, it hasn't changed a bit. Yeah, you elected the only like, white majority country that's ever elected a, pre, a black president twice in a row. Never mind that. The, things haven't changed at all. Listen, I was there. I was there in the 1960s. Things have changed entirely. It has been an entire revolution. And obviously, you know, there's nothing that can change the past. And there's shameful, terrible things in the past. This Jacksonville shooting was awful. It's awful that a guy goes in and shoots people because of the color of their skin. That's, you know, it's a sin against the image of God. But it's not exemplary. It's not happening all the time. It is not the state of play in America. Obviously, if you want, if you care about what they call black lives, a phrase that I despise, they're just American lives. That's all there are. But if you care about the lives of Americans who, whose skin is darker, then care about what's happening in Chicago, not about this. Don't make, this is a, a narrative that's being sold to give the government more power, like the narrative that we can do something about climate change by getting rid of fossil fuels. White supremacy is not the major threat facing this country. You know, they, the leader of the Proud Boys, who was at January 6th, just got sentenced to 17 years in prison because he tore down a fence and the judge said this was an act of terrorism. And that was half of what the government was asking for. The government was asking for like 33 years in prison. Now, I'm sorry, I do not make excuses for the rank stupidity of charging into the Capitol building on January 6th. I don't care what anybody said. I don't care what Ray Epps did. I don't care what the police did. That was a stupid, stupid thing to do. And the way they rampaged through the Capitol of the United States of America was not a good thing. And I don't like, think Trump's behavior was good either, as I've said a million times. But the judge who, and the judge who sentenced this guy was a Trump judge. He's a conservative judge. However, however, two lawyers who firebombed the police car during the violent riots over George Floyd's death in New York, got, got 
under, they got just a little over a year, 12 months, I think, and 14 months. The guy who burned down a police precinct in Minneapolis got four years. The narrative is that these proud boys are a major threat because they're part of white supremacy. White supremacy is the major, major threat in America. Never mind the fact that no white supremacist group can gather more than 10 people at any given moment. They've completely been destroyed and gone overground, underground. And the proud boys are not a white supremacist, supremacist group. There were blacks among the proud boys. They were just a a group of men. They wanted to have a, a boys club. So the, the reason this is happening, the reason we're being told that white supremacy is a threat is because conservatives who they can connect to white supremacy, because the very, very far right has that in, involved in it, they're a threat to this oppressive, corrupt government. They are the ones who are saying, we hate the government. Conservatives are the one who want to keep government small. We are a threat to them. It wasn't a threat to them when they burned down New York. It wasn't a threat to them when they burned down Minneapolis. It wasn't a threat to them when they burned down Kenosha. That's a tool. That's a tool for extending this narrative. So the violence doesn't count. The violence only counts when it's against them, even if it's the mere tearing down of a fence. Then that's 17 years in prison, which is absurd, that's the difference. So every single thing we're seeing from the White House, from the media, is corruption and lies to protect power, which brings me to our next chapter. You know, when I look in the mirror, I don't see anything because I'm a creature of the night. But when you look in the mirror, you may see some dark spots, and they are not going away on their own. If you're looking for a way to remove them, you need to check out Genucel's Dark Spot Corrector. The Dark Spot Corrector has not one, but three cutting-edge ingredients and goes to work fast on sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, and even old discoloration both on your face and hands. You'll be amazed at how quickly you see results. You can now enjoy the last of that summer sun and end-of-summer barbecues without embarrassing spots. With Genucel, you'll see the results or your money back. No questions asked. Go to genucel.com slash Clavin right now. Get your dark spot corrector with the new Genucel most popular package and say goodbye to those pesky spots tomorrow. They're offering free shipping, free returns, and the best luxury skincare you've ever used, all at 70% off. All orders will also include a mystery luxury gift while supplies last. Go to genucel.com slash Clavin and don't forget to spell Clavin without any E's. There are no E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. There are no easy Chapter two, the moral lie. Now, this is almost always true when you have widespread corruption and lies to protect power. They're based on underpinning lies, moral lies, just as a man was sentenced to 17 years in prison for tearing down a fence, a jury uh, has convicted five pro-life activists for violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, the FACE Act, uh, after they try attacked a D.C.-based abortion clinic. Uh, they were found guilty, and they're facing over a decade in prison. Now, they haven't been sentenced yet, but they're facing over a decade in prison. And what's interesting to me about this is that two of the defendants said that they were inspired by a documentary put out by live action called Inhuman Undercover in America's Late-Term Abortion Industry, where in this clinic that they attacked, and they did attack it, they did try to prevent access to it, this, this video from live action is 10 years old, 
But it showed a guy who ran the clinic saying, look, we're going to give you a late-term abortion, and even if the child happens to be born before we can kill it, we'll just let it die. And so that was kind of the thing that inspired them to take this action. And the judge, obviously a pro-abortion woman, wouldn't let the video be played, even though it was key to the defense. It was what they were saying, why they went in, and she called it propaganda and said it was edited, which means, as we know, that she knows it's evil, but she wants that to be hidden because she knows it's evil, but she wants it to happen anyway. That is why people silence you. That is why YouTube silences people who say that men can't become women because they know it's true, but they want it to happen anyway. That is why people silence you. That is why censors always feel like good guys in their moment and always are bad guys when people look back on it because the truth will out. So this is important, right? It's not that they don't know. People don't know when they're doing evil. It's that they want the evil done because it free. In this case, they want to have abortions because it frees people to have hedonistic sex. It, it makes women, it puts women on a par with men at being able to have sex without having consequences. That is what abortion is for. That's the only thing that it's for. It is, it's almost never for the health of the mother. It's almost, you know, that, that, that story that was told back in the day when people said, well, we have to save the baby even if it means the death of the mother, that story made a dramatic story. But that almost never happens today. It is almost a, a non-existent thing. Abortions are had so that people can have sex without consequences and sex without meaning. Sex without consequences, sex without morality, sex without meaning is inhuman sex. It's animal sex. When you take the humanity out of human action, you end up doing terrible, terrible things because we are humans. We are in a moral web. We are in a moral order that we are responsible for attending to. And the same, the same is true with this idea of so-called, quote-unquote, book banning. We keep hearing about this. We keep The left keeps saying this. We keep talking about our evil book banners on the right. Uh, you know, they're banning the history of race relations. They're banning, don't say gay. That's what they call the bill in Florida that keeps teachers from indoctrinating students about sex until they're eight years old. That's don't say gay. Here's Biden talking about this while we're at it. Here's cup three. Let's stand with teachers and educators against politicians who are trying to score political points by banning books. Did you all ever think you'd be in a situation in the United States of America? We're talking about banning books and the people deciding who to, what books to ban? Come on. That's not who we are. <laughs> all right. So here, so here's a guy, a father, a dad, stands up in Indian River County, Florida, the school board there, and starts to read one of the books that they want taken out of the library there for, uh, for young children. This is cut four. Now on the topic of these pornographic books that you keep calling these uh, point of contacts on as it relates to whether they should be read or not, um, 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher, currently in Storm Grove Middle School and Freshman Learning Center, page 265. As if letting him finger me was going to cure all my you. problems, Sir, I'll stop but you there. in the end, Sir, I, I never stop told you there. Away. And then and we will continue you to stop rubbing circles on my stomach. You there, Instead, you rub back and forth gently along my waist. Your pinky made its way under the top it, of my please, panties sir, and rolled back it. and forth you don't from stop. here to here. Yes, sir. I asked you to stop. Yeah, I asked you to stop because it's so filthy. Adults can't listen to it. It's only for kids. But you know, there's a logic to that. There's a logic to adults. It's too filthy for adults to hear. 
but it's only for kids because adults know it's wrong. They know it's wrong, and so they have to silence it. What their idea is, is that this morality doesn't exist anywhere. There's no God. It's just this kind of idea that's floated around that it's wrong to teach kids about this kind of sex and to teach, give them what's essentially pornography about this kind of sex because sex is an amoral act. We're just, you know, animals. You and me are nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do it at the Discovery Channel. That's that's the idea. And what they think is, because there is no moral order, if they can teach these children to read this stuff without being revolted and without being shocked, then in the next generation, it will no longer be wrong. That's the theory. That's the idea they're going for. So they have to, they know it's wrong, but they have to silence you because they feel that if they can teach kids that it's not wrong, it will stop being wrong. And they think that they can get away with it for a generation. And, you know, it's it's an idea that there is no morality. There is, we ha- we're not in a relationship with anything spiritual whatsoever. We are animals. We are flesh. We are just meat. We are meat with chemicals inside. And all of that can be changed. All of it can be adapted. And they're doing this all over. There's an article in The Federalist by Angelina Morabito where she talks about states crafting school guidelines. Massachusetts is drafting standards to have middle schoolers learn the difference between sex and so-called gender identity, something which has no scientific existence whatsoever. You have no, it doesn't even make sense when you, I won't go into it right now, but it doesn't even make sense when you think about it logically. But they're being taught that uh, the document describes sex as assigned rather than biological, implying that sex is not intrinsic but grafted onto a person's identity when the doctor declares randomly after rolling dice or flipping a coin, it's a boy or it's a girl. In Washington, D.C.'s newly adopted standards, students will learn histories of same-sex relationships in second grade because it has to be normalized or otherwise people might say, is this what sex is for? You know, what is sex for? And, and you know, you, you know my feeling about gay people who I've worked with and respected and even loved all my life. It has nothing to do with how I, wanting to condemn people. It has to do with what you teach children about sex because sex is a thing with a purpose and with a nature. And that nature and that purpose do not change simply because you read porn to children. So... Again, as always, the press participates, libs of TikTok. You know, they're one of the things that they also want to teach people is that race is essential. Sex, gender is not essential. Race is essential. If you are white, if you're black, that is a thing. That is a real thing. It cannot be changed. You can't, you know, for instance, you know, they, they won't teach black kids math because they, they seriously don't believe that black children can learn math. It's disgusting. And they think they can make uh, the grades equitable by simply not teaching the math. Libs of TikTok reported that a California elementary school held a race-segregated play date social for all students except the white kids. A parent blasted the school on social media. We'll look back and cringe so hard that we tried to beat racism by segregating kids of color from white kids. So the Daily Beast got angry about this. They got angry, not that it was happening, but that Libs of TikTok said it was happening. This is my point. My point is they know it's wrong. The Daily Beast said a bomb threat, which was emailed to the principal of Shabbat Elementary School in Oakland, came a day after notorious right-wing Twitter account Libs of TikTok tweeted about the school holding a play date for children of color. The problem is not the news. It's that you reported the news. This is the way our news media works. This is why Philip Bump sits there and goes, no, I'm not calling anybody to find out what's going on. That would be new. I don't do that. I work for the Washington Post, where democracy dies in darkness if we have anything to say about it. So we're doing this, and we're ashamed, and we know it's wrong, but if we silence you, 
it will be okay. So their morals are wrong because their idea of human life is wrong. It's inhuman. They, they know it. Their conscience tells them. But this is part of this idea. I'll talk about this a little bit more in the member block about the idea that the conscience is itself mutable. The conscience is itself just a kind of function of the brain. It has nothing to do with our moral sense. It's the only sense. The moral sense is the only sense that the left thinks doesn't exist. They, they think there's such a thing as light when we see light. So we, you know, we see light as we see light. We don't see light as God sees light, but we see it with our eyes, and that's why we have eyes. We have ears to hear with. We have a mouth to talk with. But our moral sense is just kind of inventing stuff out of, you know, out of nowhere. It's not that we're perceiving something. We're just there. You know, error, uh, immorality, and cover-up in the hope that evil can become good is so reminiscent of a line in the Bible in the New Testament that God is light. And in God, there's no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's the water we're swimming in. That's the water we're swimming in. That if you do not believe in a, in a spiritual order, you don't believe in a moral order, your morality is completely mutable, your morality is completely accidental, and you are going to walk in darkness. And the young fish don't even know that they're in that water, they're in that dark water, because they don't even know what water is. Only the old fish can see it, and that's why they want to silence the old fish so they can teach the young to go blind. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? Of course you did. Just look at me. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health and performance in our days. Having a consistent nighttime routine is non-negotiable. If you're struggling with sleep, you need to check out Beam. Beam's top-selling Beam Dream has a new formula. Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium L-theanine, and apigenin to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and help you wake up refreshed. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth and enjoy before bedtime. And today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's delicious dream powder, their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like cinnamon, cocoa, and chocolate peanut butter. Better sleep has never tasted better. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Clavin and use code Clavin at checkout. That's shop, B-E-A-M.com slash Clavin and use code Clavin for up to 40% off. Who needs to know how to spell Beam? You need to know how to spell Clavin. Clavin is K-L-A-V-A-N. Hi, chapter three, when evil meets stupid. So I want to share with you two reactions to our present moment, as I've just described it to you, immorality based on lies, lies based on uh, corruption, lies meant to protect the power of the corrupt. Here are two reactions to it. The first is Tucker Carlson talking to Adam Carolla, and Carolla asked Tucker if the left will allow Trump to be president, which is really a lot of assumptions built into that, that the left has power to disallow him to be president, that we are helpless to stop them. A lot of assumptions, but this is Tucker's reaction, cut six. They protested him. They called him names. He won anyway. They impeached him twice on ridiculous pretenses. They fabricated a lot about what happened on January 6th in order to impeach him again. It didn't work. He came back. Then they indicted him. It didn't work. He became more popular. 
Then they indicted him three more times, and every single time his popularity rose. So if you begin with criticism, then you go to protest, then you go to impeachment, now you go to indictment, and, and none of them work, what's next? I mean, let, you know, graph it out, man. We're speeding toward assassination, obviously. Speeding toward assassination, obviously. It's obvious to Tucker that we're doing And, and remember, this is the future, so we don't know whether Tucker's right or not. You know, we, I'm, I'm just putting it forward. I'm going to put forward two visions of the future. But I want to remind you that if he's not assassinated, no one will remember that Tucker said he would be, right, except for me. People say disasters will happen. You know, this is going to be the war. The war is coming. The left does it all the time. The right does it sometimes, too. This catastrophizing uh, where we say these terrible things are going to happen. And then when they don't happen, they just move on to the next disaster prediction. But I'm not accusing Tucker of that. This is what everything else he said in that clip is true. Everything else he said about what has happened so far is true. Protests, impeachments, indictments. They couldn't touch him. It was all fake. It was all ridiculous. Uh, that is all true. And and I've you know said Trump has not behaved well, but he's being treated vastly unfairly and vastly recklessly and unwisely. You know, even Trump, when people were shouting "lock him up" the minute he was elected, he said we're not going to do that because it's too divisive. Okay, so that's one take. The left is going to assassinate Trump, obviously. But here's another Daniel Henninger of the Wall Street Journal. He had an interesting column this week called The Stupid Party Versus the Evil Party. Those are terms former Wyoming Republican Senator Alan Simpson used to describe the Democrats, the evil party, and the Republicans, the stupid party, and I've always found that largely accurate. An overwhelming majority of the public, says Daniel Henninger, more than 60% doesn't want either Joe Biden or Donald Trump to run for president. We know this to be true. And, And therefore, Henninger says, It's not going to happen. He says the party that nominates someone other than these two will win the decisive votes of independence and the election. So his premise is this, that so many people do not want the election to be about Joe Biden and Donald Trump, that the first party that gets rid of one of those candidates is going to be the party that wins the election. Then he asks the following question. In that situation, which would you rather be, the stupid party or the evil party. In other words, he believes the Democrats will wait until Trump has locked down the nomination and then they'll get rid of Biden. And I have to tell you, that sounds a lot more likely to me than Trump being assassinated. That seems like a much more sound prediction. And again, it's the future, so I don't know, they don't know, but it's, I'm just saying as a prediction, that sounds smart to me. The Democrat Party has poured millions of dollars into Trump-supported candidates who then went on to lose they know, they, you know, they think, you think they don't know how we react to their treating him unfairly? You think that they don't know that these indictments are baloney? You know, the, the people who are doing them know the DOJ is corrupt. We know the DOJ is corrupt from the way they hund- handled the Hunter Biden investigation. So they know what they're doing and they know exactly how we're going to react. I don't think they want to kill Donald Trump. I think they would cry if Donald Trump died. You know, I, the left has kind of convinced us that an expression of opinion is an act of force. If I say, uh, I, I believe that women would be happier if they focused on homemaking and motherhood before they started careers. Some women say to me, have said to me, uh, well, you're trying to keep us barefoot and pregnant. I'm not trying to keep you anything. I don't care what you do. I really don't. But I'm just saying what I what I think, which is I think you women in general, would be happy, happier if they did this thing that matters so much to them. Uh, and that's more actually more important than almost any job you could, I, really not almost any job, than any job that you can do. 
And I've been really honest about how I'm seeing the field. And people keep saying I'm trying to convince them to vote for DeSantis. It's just not true. I've been honest when I told you uh, that I thought DeSantis blew the debate, that I thought he looked kind of unsure of his own moral stances and Weasley, uh, that he was hesitant, cagey instead of being forthright. And we're so swamped by lies and deceit that forthrightness uh, is very powerful. However, I also couldn't help noticing this dreadful Hurricane Adalia ripped through Florida, just really uh, causing a lot of terrible, terrible damage. And in the midst of this, the guy is working 20-hour days. DeSantis goes back to Florida, stops all this political action, goes back to Florida, and Hannity had him on. Here's cut seven. We were ready for this, so we had a search and rescue team staged. National Guard. We had 5,500 National Guard. We had 1.2 million gallons of gasoline in the event of fuel shortages. We had over 30,000 linemen to restore power. And so as soon as the storm passed, uh, our first responders were on the scene checking on people. The good news is, is that we have not seen the type of loss of life like we did at Hurricane Ian in the coastal areas. They did experience significant storm surge. Most of the people did evacuate. And so uh, we're cautiously optimistic that that we're going to end up okay on that. The reason you know he did a great job is because the press isn't reporting anything about it. They're reporting on Biden talking about the hurricane. They're not reporting on what he did. He did that. He's done this with Ian, too. He's been absolutely been a terrific governor. I just play one more clip because I like it. This is him uh, warning people about looting in these uh, hard hit areas. Cut eight. People have a right to defend their property. Uh, This part of Florida, you got a lot of advocates and some proponents of the Second Amendment. And I've seen signs in different people's yards in the past after these disasters. And I would say it's probably here. You loot, we shoot. You never know what's behind that door. If you go break into somebody's house and you're trying to loot, uh, these are people that are going to be able to defend themselves and their families. So so I would not do it. Uh, We are going to hold you accountable from a law enforcement perspective at a minimum. And it could even be worse than that, depending on what's behind that door. (laughs) DeSantis did a good job. He refused to go after Trump. He refused to even discuss Trump. He said, that's not what I'm thinking about right now. I'm thinking about doing my job. Trump, meanwhile, acted as Trump so often does. He acted gracelessly, small, selfishly attacking DeSantis while these people's homes were being destroyed. It was just Ugly, ugly, ugly behavior. I'm sorry. He does it all the time. It's one of the reasons I get so ticked off at him. Uh, You know, he accused DeSantis of some stupid thing with a rate hike that had nothing to do with anything. So I can't help thinking about the fact that DeSantis looks bad to me in the media, and the media is telling us that he's not friendly, that he's not polite, but the media is deceitful and evil. And Trump looks good in the media because Trump is the media. Trump is a reality television star, and he knows exactly what people want to watch. All of this puts us in a horrible position. This is, again, I don't know the future either. I think DeSantis would be a better president than Trump. Trump is still surrounded by idiots. He is still surrounded by idiots, and that was the big problem with his administration. It wasn't his ideas. It wasn't his policies, which were great. It was the fact that he was surrounded by idiots, and when COVID hit, he surrendered to the idiots he did. You know... I think Trump is just far, far more likely to lose because he's so hated by independents. Just a fact, just the way it is. I don't think the evil party wants to kill him. I think they want him to run because they think we're stupid and they do everything they can to use the power of their evil to ensure that we are stupid. And the question is, can we beat that stupid and how? 
All right, final chapter, just because they're evil. And the rest of that sentence is just because they're evil doesn't make us smart. Now, I want to warn you before I begin that I am going to be using the J word. I am going to be talking about uh, Jesus Christ here a little bit because I think when we're talking about this sea of corruption, misinformation, ignorance, and immorality, we have to have at least a standard by which we recognize uh, which which direction to go into. I know many of you, uh, you know, burst into flame with the minute I mention uh, Christ. And uh, all I would say is just keep a, you know, a, a fire extinguisher nearby and, uh, you know, put yourself out if you want to, or just make some marshmallows, some s'mores. See, the thing is, I think that this world that we're living in, where there's so much corruption, so much disinformation and misinformation, so much ignorance and morality, I think this is normal. I think that this is what human life has been like always, all the time. It doesn't mean there aren't good times and bad times. It means that evil always goes somewhere. So when you remember the story that I started with, how's the water, what the hell is water? The water is tragedy, wickedness, sin. The water is the fallen world. It is the world as it is. And because this is the way the world is, Good guys don't always win. Victory belongs sometimes to the worst people. I mean, if you just look at the people who run countries, how many of them are are people that you really admire? You may admire the way they run the country. Uh, some of them, from now and again, you get uh, somebody who's really an admirable person. But it's very, very rare in history. And when you look at the lists of presidents, very few of them were great men. Uh, very few kings were great men. That that it's just not the way things work. You know, it's. Uh, the fact is, if you play the game wickedly, you can win because that's the way the world works. If you cheat, you can make more money. If you abuse women, uh, you'll get more sex and you can control women if you if you manipulate them. If you intimidate and bamboozle people, you can succeed in business. All those books that tell you, oh, seat the guy in a lower chair than yours because it'll make him feel inferior. Well, that's a crap thing to do, but maybe it works. Uh, honesty doesn't always pay. Sometimes honesty costs you, as, as we all know. A good people even suffer internally sometimes because they hold themselves to higher account. I always say when I'm lying awake worried because I said something that might have been interpreted as nasty to someone that somewhere a serial killer is sleeping like a baby. None of this is cynicism. This is scripture. This is the way that the gospels teach us to think about the world. The best man who ever lived, the incarnate image of God, the author of all good, was nailed to a cross and died there in agony. And everybody in the society contributed. The priests uh, demanded it. The people called for it. The authorities washed their hands of it and sat back and let it happen. Even the friends of Christ ran for their lives. And that is the world we work in. And, and St. Paul said this. He said, you know, St. Paul, none, of, none of the people in the Gospels has ever said, make the world, a, go out there and make the world a better place. Uh, St. Paul said, the God of this world, by which he meant Satan, the God of this world, blinds the minds of those who don't believe in God. And if you look around, that, I think, is what we're seeing. Nobody can really defend abortion. A child in the womb is a human being, and you're killing a human being for your own convenience and for your own pleasure. That is what abortion is. Almost a hundred percent of the time, that is what abortion is. It's you killing a human being because you couldn't take the time to say no, because you couldn't take the time to say, you know what, I can't afford a person, a new child right now, so maybe we won't have sex, or maybe we'll have protected sex, or maybe we'll solve that problem somehow. And instead, you have the sex, you have the baby, and you kill it. That's what that's what it is, right? And and there's no there's no getting around that. It's just we're trying to teach ourselves that that's okay. And since we do it in this country over eight hundred thousand times a year, uh, we're pretty 
successful at convincing ourselves that the wrong, the evil is good. Um, you know, if you look around, the people are doing all these things, and this is the water that we're swimming in. They're convincing themselves that evil is good and good is evil. Jesus never said, go forth and make the world a better place. What he said is, the world will give you trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But I, he said, have overcome the world. So what did he mean by that? This crucified guy, how did he overcome the world? I think he meant that life is like this. Life is, sucks. But then, he, I, don't think he, I don't think he meant life sucks and then you go to heaven. I don't think that that was what he was saying. And the reason I don't think so is because he said the kingdom of heaven is not something you see. The kingdom of heaven is already within you. So I think what he meant is, I know what the world is, but I have overcome it within myself by surrendering to God, and through me, you can begin to do the same thing. So I, just to take a look at some of the things, you know, we always talk about the Gospels in terms of morality and what we mean by morality is what other people should be doing, um, because we're already doing it. You know, if, if we are happily married, we want to yell at people who aren't happily married, or if we're, um, yeah, you know, uh, if we're supporting ourselves, we want to yell at people who are out of work and so forth. But let's take a look at some of the things that Jesus said. I'm going to begin with your favorite. I know your favorite is judge not lest you be judged. I never hear that anybody who says, no, no, we should judge people. Um, <laughs> I know everybody just loves judge not. But I think, I think that what he's saying there is that he's not talking to the other guy. He knows what the other guy is doing. He's not talking to the, the gay guy. He's talking to you, the straight guy. He's not talking uh, to the deviant. He's talking to the normal person. He's talking to you, and he's, he's telling you how to live, and he's not really worried what you think about how other people live because he's got that covered. That's his, his department. And that doesn't mean you don't stop crime. It simply means that worrying about other people's morality is not what you are assigned to do. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that means the humble in spirit. That doesn't mean people who haven't, haven't got a lot of spirit. It means people who are humble in spirit. And he talks about a Pharisee, a holy man who goes up into the temple and he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, like cheaters and sinners, and adulterers. Maybe he added, would have added gay people. Now, um, not like that tax collector who's standing over there, which was the lowest, one of the lowest things you could be. And he would say, he says, I fast twice a week, and I give you, you know, a tenth of my income. The tax collector, who's also gay, by the way, the, tax, the gay tax collector <laughs> standing over there saying something different, he is saying, he's beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, that's the man who's justified in front of God. He's poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And by mourning, he doesn't mean walk around being sorrowful uh, because he wants us to have joy. He said, I'm telling you these things so the joy I have will be in you. But the more you realize what you are, the more you realize that you are in this water of sin, that you are part of this, and you turn away from that, the darker the world seems. This is a funny thing about Christianity. The deeper your Christianity becomes, the more dark the world around you seems. That's why I don't like these movies in which everybody's happy because they found God and everything's fine because they found God. Nothing is fine after you find God. After you turn your back on the way of the world, after you turn your back on what everybody thinks is the right thing to do and start doing the right thing, the world looks like a very dark place. It looks like a place where people kill babies, you know, where they just make an appointment, can call a doctor who's pledged to do no harm and said, kill my baby, and the guy will do that for you. That's the world that we live in. That's a very dark place. And yet, the darker the world seems, the more at peace you are within yourself because you know that you have left that water. You're swimming out away from that water. 
the comfort comes from seeing the truth and being something within yourself or beginning to become something within yourself that's different. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I mean, that's the one that always gets the big laugh. That's like a big laugh line uh, because people misunderstand it. They think that means let people push you around, be meek toward other people. But it doesn't mean be meek toward God. Do what God is telling you to do. And that really does have an effect. You know, our man, our friend Jordan Peterson is going through a small martyrdom right now. It's not a small blessed or the meek moment. Uh, he's not being killed or tortured, thank God, but he's being commanded by uh, the law in Ontario to take a re-education class because he hasn't got right think. He's got wrong think. He thinks wrong things. And so they're going to teach him because they know what is right. And obviously these are terrible, terrible people doing a terrible, terrible thing and offending Jordan's dignity. He's got more brains in his head than the entire province of Ontario, and they're offending his dignity by forcing him to do this. But he's not storming the capital. He's not facing power with power. He is doing, in fact, the Christian thing. He is going to obey the law. He's going to go to this thing, and then he's going to publicize it. This is what he says he's going to do. He's going to make as much of it public. And what we've seen throughout this show that we've been talking about is that they don't care that you storm the Capitol because they're, you're, you're fighting power with power, and they've got all the power. They've got the power to send you to prison for 17 years, for 30 years, for tearing down a fence. You F around with them, you find out. If you want to put your power against their power, they've got the power. However, the thing they can't stand is being shown, is being made public. They can't stand the truth. They cannot stand the truth. And when you are meek and you obey God, you speak the truth no matter what. You speak the truth whether people like you or not. You speak the truth whether it sends you to prison or not, whether it gets you thrown off uh, Twitter or not, whether it gets you thrown out of social media or not. You know, when you fight power with the truth, funny things start to happen. That's how Rome fell. Rome didn't fall because of the armies. It fell because people just started to say, we resign. We resign from this. We're going to speak the truth. Even if you throw us to the lions, that's meek. That's meek. That's courageous. But it's meek. You know, the earth is going to not be a better place. But if you walk in meekness and you speak the truth, if you live inside yourself to be who you are and don't react to what people are doing and don't re, you know, respond to their wickedness with your wickedness or with your stupidity, they can fall for a time. You can triumph for a time. You can triumph for a day. You can triumph for a year. You can triumph for 200 years with more freedom, with more morality, with better life. It starts with you. It does. It starts with you, and then it starts with your family, and then it starts with your town and your community and your state, and ultimately can take over an entire country. Jesus said, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. In other words, they won't just do evil. They'll convince themselves that it's good. And that time may be coming now. I mean, when you send a guy away for 17 years for bringing down a fence, you're, you're pretty close. That's just to preserve your power because he's a threat to your power. He was not really a threat to anybody else. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I think that that is what you have to do now and what I have to do now in this difficult time of corruption, of malfeasance, of immorality, and also of incompetence. Our journey is not to the next election. The next election is going to be what it will be, but it's way beyond because the kingdom of heaven is within you. Yes, there is an eternal life. There is an eternal life, but it's going to be the life that you're living now. You are going to be in that eternal life, the life you are living now. Insist on being miserable. Insist 
on being like the world, insist on responding to the world in the world's terms. That's who you're going to be forever. The corruption that you see, this endless, endless lies and and immorality, this is the water that we're swimming in. And so when you ask yourself, what the hell is water? Remember, that's it. You cannot see it unless you jump. So jump. Back in March, Big Chocolate hired a man who thinks he's a woman to promote their chocolates. It was a little early for costumes. That's why we launched Jeremy's Chocolate. In a matter of days, we completely sold out of he, him, and she, her chocolate bars. One has nuts, one doesn't. Don't ask which. The good news is we're back in stock, and Halloween is quickly approaching. Head over to jeremyschocolate.com and order your chocolate today. All right, it's time for Clavin Clapbacks. There seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Yeah! <laughs> That's for sure. All right, Clavin Clapbacks. It's Clapbacks is spelled with a K, so is Clavin, K-L-A-V-A, and there are no E's in Clavin. You may not have known that. Clapbacks with a K at dailywire.com. Clavin Clapbacks at dailywire.com. Comment on the show, disagree with me, or be correct, whichever you like. We will read all kinds of remarks and uh, respond to them from anonymous, dear Grand Imperial Grandfather, Regent King Lord Duke Clavin, master of the one nostril breathing. How do you appreciate a woman's beauty without becoming lustful? You know, that's actually a good question because I think that people misunderstand, especially uh, Christians who have read the passage in the Bible where Jesus says, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. I think they misunderstand the word that he's using there, which is really a word related to covetousness. Uh, lust is an act of imagination. Appreciating, I don't understand how you can live in the world without appreciating women's beauty and all kinds of beauty. I, it seems to me that all of that has a, you know, an erotic opponent, component in the sense of being pleasurable to the flesh. You are ple- it is pleasant to see beauty, whether it's a sunset or a woman. And I think that uh, you, you would be a, living an impoverished life, not a full life, if you didn't appreciate beauty. I think that the kind of lust that Jesus is talking about and condemning is an act of the imagination. And that's the sort of thing that you don't have to entertain if you feel that it's wrong, if you feel that it is diminishing you or being unfaithful. But to not appreciate beauty of all kinds uh, is a mistake. And women feminists, by by the way, who condemn the male gaze are just simply wrong in their morality. Their beauty does not belong to them. It belongs to the people looking at it. Uh, from Matt, dear Drew, they're going to love that one. Forgive the familiarity, but I feel like I know you, my seven children, and I love you and appreciate your thoughtful, religious, worldly, artistic analysis of things that matter and of things as they really are. You also make us laugh, for which we're deeply grateful. Today, you said something that resonated deeply. Many of our current political leaders are more fascist than they are socialist. My question is, how do you define fascism? Well, fascism is basically uh, an impenetrable state, a a state that can't be denied. You can't refuse to do what the state says. You can't criticize the state. And it's usually topped by a single person, a dictator. The point I was making is that in such a place, the state does not take over the means of of production. It takes over the means of corruption, but not the means of production. But it forces companies to do what it says. So the state is all powerful. So your company, if it says to your company, you have to produce cars that 
run off electricity, even if that's not the best thing, and even if that's not what people want, then that's what they have to do. Whereas a socialist state does something different, which is that it it takes over the means of production and says, oh, now the people own it. But of course, that the people are an imaginary construct. The state is all there as well. That's why socialism and fascism are so hard to tell apart, because they're basically the same thing. From our, uh, hey, Andrew, I just finished Strange Habit of Mind and already have the new one on order. Love the books. I'm glad to hear it. And I hope others will pre-order The House of Love and Death. I was a bit baffled by your response to the awkward moment dissent has had in the debate. You seem to be reading a whole lot more into that. I'm not sure why. Uh, dissent has made it clear that he was completely annoyed with the whole idea of raise your hand. You also seem to be uptight about how he deflected from the BS on January 6th and Mike Pence to the overall battle with the deep state. What difference does it make what anybody on that stage thinks of what Pence did? I can't agree with you there. In fact, I don't agree with that whole way of, of thinking uh, that you'd like DeSantis. I like DeSantis too, and therefore he can't have done anything wrong. Of course he should be, respond to whether Mike Pence did the right thing or not. He didn't do it because he knows that MAGA people think that Mike Pence was a traitor. I think that Mike Pence did one of the most important things that could be done in that moment. He did the right thing, and he saved the Republic, basically, from going up in smoke, as far as I'm concerned, because there would have been incredible reactions and damaging reactions, and he'd have been wrong and unconstitutional to do it. But MAGA people hate that because it means that Trump was wrong. Trump was wrong. He had not, did not have the foundation to do what he wanted to do. He hadn't taken the time, hadn't had the discipline uh, to get the kind of information that might have made a difference in that situation. You can't just say it, you have to show it. And he didn't. And this trope that I hear a lot of, well, the courts wouldn't hear it, simply isn't true. They wouldn't hear it because the briefs, which I read, didn't have the information required. And so, no, I think I hold him responsible for that. I think still think he'd make a better president. And I still think maybe the debate didn't matter that much. But I do think he should have answered that question. I got to stop there. If you're not a member, you are not a member. You are now being plunged into the clavenless eternity every moment without me is an eternity. But you can become a member today. So there you're saved. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe, dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. And then, like members, you can come on over to the member block.